As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This week's story is from Surrey. It focuses on a very difficult domestic situation with adults and children crammed into a small house with simmering tensions and little chance to get the space we all need sometimes. A huge thank you to Hayes, host of the podcast She Wrote Podcast, for the research and the writing of this week's show. UK True Crime Live is back this week with super recogniser Kelly Hearsey, who I featured in a previous episode. It's going to be fascinating, so do join me and Chantal from the Lady Justice podcast on Thursday at 7.30pm. Just search Crowdcast Adam Lloyd or check out the link in the show notes. You know, I think that's the first time I've said that in all this time. Maybe I'm finally getting the hang of this podcasting. <laughs> I think we know the reality, don't we? Have you ordered your copy of the new Millennium Serial Killer yet to find out more about the unsolved crimes of Christopher Halliwell? If not, head over to the website for my crime book publishing company now, that is crimepublishingnetwork.com, to secure your copy for a huge discount. As always, I'd like to thank all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That is Chris Davis, Jason Hull and Sarah Gebbing. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. Okay, so let's play their guest the month and year, a game marginally more popular than a breakaway European football league. Top of the UK charts was Burn from publicity shy Ellie Golding. In the US, it was the king of woke himself, Robin Thicke with Blurred Lines. Top of the Australian album charts was Pink with Truth About Love. In the news this month, two people were killed and 30 injured after a coach crash in southern France. The legend that is Usain Bolt won the 100 metres at the World Championships in Moscow, edging out drugs cheap. Sorry, I read the wrong bit. I said Justin Gatland finished second. That's what I meant to say. 61 people were killed after a ferry sank in the Philippines. And in UK true crime news, Britain's Michaela McCollum and Melissa Reed were formally charged of attempting to smuggle £1.5 million worth of cocaine out of Peru. Did you guess the month and year? It was August 2013. Think of the most wild night out you ever had. For me, it wasn't a Rochdale sauna. I think Bangkok, Vegas or maybe Jakarta. With good reason, I don't think Guildford, Surrey, a town about 27 miles southwest of London. I know, I know I'm being harsh. It's actually famous for being a place you drive past on the A3 on the way to Portsmouth. Look, 
I can't be more balanced than that. In 2013, 13-year-old Jerome Ellis and his 23-year-old brother Joshua were living with their mum, Marie Ellis, her partner, 54-year-old Neil Tully, and their three younger half-siblings at their home in Cedar Way, Guildford. It wasn't a happy or a stable household. Neil Tully, a painter and a decorator, was an angry man who was often drunk and was physically and verbally abusive towards the brothers and their mum. Marie didn't work but stayed at home to look after the younger children. Look, I'm not in the business of criticising how anyone chooses to parent. It's a tough job and it's not for others to say. But there are a few basics I'll suggest like showing love and providing attention. It was said that Marie struggled with showing love for her children and was not particularly attentive towards them either. Those who knew Marie said that she could be a little lazy and spent much of her time watching children's TV, claiming to be spending time with the children while simultaneously neglecting them. The older brother Joshua was unable to work due to depression, so 13-year-old Jerome often acted as a carer to his older brother, as well as the younger siblings. It sounds like a pretty tough life for Jerome, doesn't it? And he'd experienced a challenging start to life in his 13 years before then. He had been living with his dad, Gary, but moved in with his mum, older brother and extended family when he was 11 to escape his abusive alcoholic father. Sadly, it appeared that he merely exchanged one abusive household for another. Neil Tully resented Jerome living with them as he felt that the house was already too crowded. After all, Jerome's brother Joshua was living in the cramped attic space. Tully wasn't the nicest character with a history of violent behaviour. In 2003, he received a 16-hour community punishment for common assault, and in 2009, he was handed another community punishment and a restraining order after grabbing Marie around the neck and threatening to kill her in front of witnesses. But Marie didn't feel able to leave him. Teachers at Jerome's school in Guildford noticed he appeared to be very thin and feared that he wasn't eating properly at home. At school, he would often complain of feeling hungry. As well as this, his clothes were unwashed and in need of repair, and this would cause other pupils to tease him for his appearance and because his clothes smelt. You can just about begin to imagine what this was like for a 13-year-old. Jerome's attendance was poor, but it was noted in the school records that he was a young carer with additional responsibilities at home. The school even provided Jerome with extra money to buy food and school clothes, but he would spend this on his younger half-siblings instead of himself. Jerome told friends that he, his brother Josh and his mum were pleased to have somewhere stable to live, but he knew that he wasn't wanted by Neil, and Neil had told his mum that he didn't want the children living there. In these conditions, as you can imagine, resentment can grow and fester in a household where a number of people are crammed in close together, unable to get that space that we all need sometimes. And then one August day, Neil Tully just snapped after he'd been drinking, swinging an axe at Joshua in a drunken rage. Jerome, witnessing the attack, of course, was terrified by this level of violence and worried for the safety of his family. The police were called and Tully was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder. Joshua and Jerome hoped that this would be the end of their mum's relationship with Tully, 
but their respite from his raid was brief as he was released without charge and Marie welcomed him back into the family home. Jerome only learnt of this development when he arrived home from school to see his mum's partner sitting on the sofa drinking a beer as though nothing had happened. And whereas Marie may have welcomed him back, Jerome felt differently, very differently. He was scared and he felt that the whole family were all in danger while Tully was in the house. Tully's sister Kay was aware of the strained relationship that her brother had with his partner's eldest son, Joshua. She said, Neil was quite old-fashioned and believed in hard work, and worked hard himself, and he was very concerned that Joshua had no direction and didn't want to work. He couldn't be bothered and was staying in and didn't do anything with his life. The two of them had opposite values, if you like. Of course, this account, this view, doesn't take into account that Joshua was suffering from depression. Men like Neil Tully are not always very understanding of mental health issues. After Tully had returned to the family home, Jerome noted how much time he seemed to be spending in the garden shed. It was his place of refuge, away from the demands of his partner and small children, where he could get the time and space he sometimes needed. Curious as to what Tully actually did when he spent those long hours in his shed, Jerome picked the lock one afternoon and was horrified to discover that the very axe that had been used to attack his brother Joshua had been returned to its owner and was sitting on the workbench, potentially ready to be used again. On the evening of August 13th, 2013, two days after Jerome's 14th birthday, Joshua approached his younger brother as he played Xbox in his room. The fear the brothers were feeling, living under the same roof as Neil Tully, was palpable and growing. It felt as though something just had to give. Speaking about this encounter later, Jerome said, He told me that Tully was going to get the axe, the one that he had in the shed. He told me that we had to kill him. I saw that as the only option, because he was a threat to everyone in the family, including me, my brother, my mum, and even his own children. Tully was by this point sleeping on the sofa downstairs. Such was the state of his up-and-down relationship with Marie. He would tend to either sleep there or in his shed. Joshua and Jerome silently descended the stairs, entered the kitchen and picked up a knife each from a drawer. They knew what they had to do. I'm delighted this episode is sponsored by Acorn TV. While TV has been a saving grace for many of us, I'm sure by now a lot of you feel like you're caught up on every single show imaginable. If you're tired of scrolling through the same movies or shows, and miss the excitement of weekly releases and brand new binge fests, then you have to get to Acorn TV. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals that you won't find anywhere else. The one that I've been binging this week is called London Kills. In this series, D.I. David Bradford heads an elite murder squad, but the one case he can't crack is the one closest to him, the disappearance of his wife. That's London Kills, an Acorn original. If you're ready for a streaming service that offers new stories, new characters and breathtaking sceneries every week, do what I did and get Acorn TV. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code UKTrueCrime. 
that's acorn.tv, code UKTrueCrime, to get your first 30 days for free. They approached the sleeping man. They paused briefly, nodded at each other, and then began the attack. It was sustained, and when they finished, Neil Tully lay dead, with 65 separate sites of injury across his body, some made up of multiple wounds. Neil Tully was just 54 when he was killed. CCTV footage showed the two young men leaving the property at about 4am, once they were certain that Tully was dead. They headed towards woods near the River Way, where they disposed of the knives in the nature reserve. Meanwhile, the following morning, Marie came downstairs to find her partner of 11 years and father to three of her children, soaked in blood and stabbed numerous times in a what had clearly been the most brutal of attacks. The injuries to his neck were so severe that she could see immediately that his head was almost decapitated. Although a cliché, it really was like something out of a horror movie, and Marie couldn't quite believe just what she was seeing. At 9.15am, Marie called her mum, Patricia. She said she'd just discovered Neil Tully's body on the sofa, and he appeared to be dead. Patricia immediately asked Marie if it had something to do with his drinking. She had briefly spoken to him on the phone the previous evening, and thought he sounded intoxicated. Marie said no, he was covered in blood. Patricia asked if Marie had called 999, and when she was told no, not yet, she advised her daughter to end the call and dial 999 immediately. But Marie did not do so until around 30 minutes later. Presumably, she was still in shock and disbelief. When the paramedics arrived, they were expecting to treat someone suffering from a heart attack. They were surprised that Marie then took a while to come to the door to answer. When she finally did, she appeared to be very calm and quietly spoken. She led the way to the living room, where the mutilated body of Neil Tully was lying on the sofa. The three young children were in the house with her too. It was immediately clear that there was nothing that could be done to help Neil. There was no sign of Joshua and Jerome, and they were eventually discovered two days later, looking dishevelled, in the porch of St Peter's Church in Woking, having followed the course of the River Way for just over five miles from their home. They informed churchgoers who just turned up at the church for bell ringing practice, we are murderers, call the police. After Joshua and Jerome were arrested, neither boy denied killing Neil Tully, and they were compliant with the police. Jerome told officers, I know we're not supposed to talk, but there's something I need to tell you. We haven't got the weapons, but we can show you where they are. Joshua led the officers to a location between Stoke Lock and Bowers Lock on the way navigation. I know it's just near the tall grass on the other side, in a white plastic bag with some baby wipes, he told them. And using a metal detector, the two knives were recovered buried about six inches under the ground. Both boys faced court. The court heard that although Joshua and Jerome admitted killing Neil Tully, they had both pleaded not guilty to murder, claiming it was manslaughter due to loss of control. During the trial in February 2014, the court heard in detail the level of dysfunction within this blended household and the friction between Neil Tully, his partner Marie, and her sons Joshua and Jerome and how this led to the brothers' desperation to remove Tully from their lives. 
The prosecuting QC asked why they'd attacked him while he was still sleeping, saying, You must have realised when you looked at him lying on the sofa like that, that he actually was no threat at all. But for Joshua and Jerome, it wasn't about the level of threat at that particular moment. It was more about removing the possibility of any threat to their lives in the future. Defending Joshua, the QC pointed out the incident with the axe was not the first time that Tully had been charged with assault. He said, We've seen a series of occasions when Neil Tully was brought to account by the authorities. Do you really think they were the only occasions when he used violence? Do you think they were the only occasions when he was abusive to Marie and the children? This was the climate that Josh was brought up in, a climate of fear and dread. Therefore, the fact that Tully was sleeping at the time of the attack did not in any way lessen the level of threat they felt at that moment. He continued, One thing is clear, and that's that Joshua was a gentle giant. He wouldn't hurt a fly, but he was attacked and traumatised. He was depressed and isolated, and that's what led to that night. Defending Jerome, the QC told the jury that his client idolises and adores his brother, which is why he followed Joshua downstairs on that fateful night. He said, He's willing to take on the chin that he killed a man, He's willing to admit to manslaughter. What you have to decide is whether he lost control. The jury first considered the verdict for 14-year-old Jerome and they decided that he was guilty of manslaughter. The judge said, In the early hours of August the 14th last summer, your brother came downstairs from the attic where he lived and you went downstairs with him and killed Neil Tully. He'd been your mum's partner for about 11 years and he was asleep on the sofa in the middle of the night. You both attacked him with large kitchen knives, taken from the kitchen drawer. He was stabbed over 60 times. He tried to defend himself with his hands and his fingers were cut. Both you and your brother had wounds that suggested that the knives slipped as he tried to fight you off. It may be that Joshua did far more than you, but you accept, and you've always accepted, that you too used a knife and that you knew what you were doing. You have to be sentenced for a deliberate participation in the killing of another human being. I have regards to not just your age, but your background, and poor parenting. The least sentence I feel appropriate in this case is a period of six years. You will serve half of that, which means you'll be released before you are 18 years old. And the following month, Jerome's brother Joshua was found guilty of murder at Guildford Crown Court and sentenced to 14 years in prison. Speaking after Jerome's sentence, the leading detective said, The sentence today reflects the severity of the crime and it's never an easy decision for the judge or jury to make with such emotive events to be considered. This was a tragic case in which a man was fatally injured and two families have been completely devastated as a result. Everybody involved in this crime is a victim of circumstance. After the trial, the Home Office ordered a domestic homicide review into the agencies and organisations involved with the family to see whether the tragedy could have been prevented and what lessons could be learned. Social services were aware of the family's dysfunction, but could they have predicted the outcome of Neil Tully's return home after attacking Joshua with an axe? Should Jerome have been removed from his family? and placed into care. He was devoted to his older brother, 
But was it that devotion that caused him not to question Joshua when he said that Tully had to be killed in order for them to be free? I'll spare you the conclusions of the report. You don't need to hear it. You can imagine it, can't you? Jerome Ellis is now 20 years old and having served his time in prison, he lives in anonymity with a new identity. Joshua is currently in Parkhurst Prison on the Isle of Wight and will be eligible for release in February 2028 when he'll be 37 years old. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Firstly, how do you feel about Neil Tully? Interesting, isn't it? We always give, on this podcast, sympathy to the victims of crimes. And Neil Tully was stabbed while he was fast asleep. I wonder if you feel sympathy for him. Does this case sound familiar to you? In December 2019, the BBC broadcast a drama called Responsible Child, largely based on Joshua and Jerome Ellis, where we see the younger brother, aged 12 rather than 14, being assessed by child psychologists, assigned an appropriate adult, and meeting with various legal professionals, and looking, quite understandably, bewildered by the whole process. Documentary filmmaker Nick Holt, who directed the drama, said he was filming in Glasgow when the seed for a responsible child was planted. During my time there, I saw a very, very young child coming into the court, and I asked the lawyer who I was with whether this child would be giving evidence, and he said no, no, he's the accused. And that came as quite a shock. And that led me to ask questions about what age we put children on trial. The age of criminal responsibility in England and Wales is just 10 years old, which means from that time a child can be tried in an adult court. There have even been instances where booster seats have to be used in court to enable young defendants to see over the bar. A BBC Newsbeat article, hey, only the hardest hitting sources in this podcast, from December 2019 stated, Since 1995, it's estimated that over 7,000 children aged 10 to 14 have been tried at Crown Courts in England and Wales. The United Nations has repeatedly said that setting it at this age ignores children's rights. So here's the thing. At 10 years old, you are too young to buy a hamster, but old enough to be tried for murder. What do you think? It can't be right, can it? Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this episode, please join over 65,000 of us at the Facebook group. And to support the show, head to Patreon, where you'll become an instantly better person as well as better looking too. That is patreon.com slash UK True Crime. And whilst there, check out all the great exclusive content. So it's all for me for another week. A huge thank you again to Hayes, host of podcast she wrote, for today's episode. And don't forget to get to crimepublishingnetwork.com to get your copy of the new Millennium Serial Killer. So after this week when Spurs and Arsenal were invited to join a European elite, maybe I will still be offered the podcasting golden ticket to the global elite. What do you think? despite languishing at just 37 in the UK true crime podcast charts. So on that mildly aspirational bombshell, I will leave you until next week. Until then, please do take it easy, and most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.